Hello, this is the Contractor Coffee Club podcast presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on EGAI.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGI snapshot survey. In today's episode, we're going to dis- continue to discuss sales. One of the fundamental key distinctions to sales success is planning. Marcus Aurelius said, very little is needed to make a happy life. It's all within yourself, in your way of thinking and planning. My first year in sales, I worked for a company that insisted on a simple discipline, a tracking tool of accountability, RAP, RAP. It stood for Review and Plan. Every week, I was required to fill out a simple sheet capturing last week's activity and my plan for the following week. I was asked to review this for 30 minutes every Monday morning with my sales manager. I had to defend why I thought one prospect was going to become a client and why another prospect was not going to buy. Moreover, I had to discuss in detail who I was going to meet that coming week, how many proposals were in my funnel, and the expected percentage of closes to lost opportunities. Simple, effective, powerful. All these years later, I still do this every week in my journal. Henry Daughter, an industrialist, said, I can hire men to do everything but two things. Think and do things in the order of their importance. Ben Franklin said, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. A goal without a plan is just a wish. I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you have a sales goal, a number that you're committed to achieving. If so, you're ready for what I affectionately call my hour of power. I've been conducting my own hour of power for over 10 years. I've taught this simple concept to hundreds of thousands of people around the globe. Why? Because it works. Number one, rewrite your number one goal on a three-by-five card as if it were already true in goal achievement language. Personal, positive, powerful, and present tense. I call it the four Ps. I'll repeat that. Personal, I am, I have, I enjoy. Positive, some exciting adjectives. Powerful, and present tense. So I might say something like, I'm a ruthless manager of my time, organized, disciplined, and effective, or I'm proud of my 75% close ratio. Those are examples of well-written goals. Number two, and that, by the way, that first, the goal part of the process is about 15 or 20 minutes. The second 20 minutes, list the five reasons you want the goal, reasons that will pull you to the future. Forget the how. That comes in time. Just remember, repetition, emotion, and time. The second part, bombard your subconscious with the goal. Choose one modality that fits you. All that's needed to change your self-image, your internal thermostat regulator, is the formula I times E times R equals NR. That stands for impression, emotion, repetition equals a new reality. It's a daily discipline. Write it out in your journal or say it out loud or visualize it happening. You see, if you're an auditor, you're going to want to listen to the goal. I record mine on audio and I listen to them every day. If you're a visual, you're going to want to get a picture of that goal. And if you're a kinesthetic, many technicians are, write it out. Try this for 90 days. Look at your goals two or three times a day. Slowly, your corresponding comfort zone will change, as will your attitude, behavior, and habits. People, opportunity, books, ideas will come flowing into your subconscious in the form of hunches. I call them whispers from the universe. Pay attention. Write them down. Act on them. It's like your own personal GPS. The how will come. 
The last part of the hour of power is simple. Read a book in alignment with that goal. If you're in sales, read a sales book. If you're a manager, read a book on management. If you're a leader, read a book on leadership. Simple. The reason I read books for 20 minutes every morning is I'm looking for one idea, just one. It only takes one simple idea to change your business and your life. The hour power is simple, but it isn't easy. Let's assume you have a goal that's important to you and you've made that decision and you've even written it down. The hour of power is about working smarter, not harder. Look, I'm lazy, okay? If you, if you can show me a better way to do something, I'll do it. And this is one of those better ways. It's a good new habit. The process and the discipline will keep you on task. And 30 days into this little trial or test, you'll have probably read two books, thought about and imagined your number one goal dozens of times, and you've planned your work and you worked your plan. That simple habit will change your personal and professional effectiveness. I even do this when I'm on vacation. We make lists. I had dinner one night with Paul J. Meyer in Houston, Texas. He was a brilliant man, wildly successful, first in insurance, then in teaching others how to succeed in sales. He said to me, productivity is never an accident. It's always the result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. My late mentor, Charlie Tremendous Jones, said you'll be the same person in five years except for two things, books and people, people and books. Actually, the way he said it was, tremendous, Mark. You'll be the same guy in five years except for two things. The books you read and the people you meet, the people you meet and the books you read. That's actually how he said it. Reading books of substance that are in alignment with your goals will accelerate your progress in ways you can't imagine now. They'll change your awareness, maximize your potential, stretch your comfort zones, shift your attitudes, and allow you to achieve your goals in a fraction of the time. And isn't that what it's all about? Results in a fraction of the time. Associating with positive peak performing people will change you in ways you cannot imagine now. Remember, people and books, books and people. Alan Lakin's fantastic book, Getting Things Done, he wrote, planning is bringing the future into the present so you can do something about it now. So what's the best time for your hour of power, AM or PM? Why not try this for 30 days as a test? Dwight D. Eisenhower said, in preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. About six months ago, I was walking through the Minneapolis airport. And you know, it takes a lot for me to be surprised. As I get older, it seems to get harder and harder. But I was surprised this particular day. I was walking through the airport and I had about 40 minutes before making my connection to Seattle. And I went to the information booth and inquired where the nearest shoeshine stand was. A kindly gentleman in his late 70s smiled and said, have I got a special treat for you? And he handed me a business card and said, good for one free shoe shine." Surprise number one. He pointed me in the right direction. The man in charge of the stand greeted me with a cheerful voice and said, have a seat right here, my friend, take a load off. My name is Danny Givens. And he reached out and shook my hand. As he shook my hand with enthusiasm, he continued, a real pleasure to meet you. Welcome to my shoeshine stand. Surprise number two. As he systematically went to work on my black loafers and proceeded to make them shine like never before, he asked me some open-ended questions and listened intently. And guess what? I sensed that he really wanted to know the answers. He cared. Surprise number three. In between, he was smiling and half singing and half hunging a positive song. He was having fun. He was proud to be doing something he loved and he was good at. He said with pride, this is my business. I'm new here to this airport, just got the contract. 
Surprise number four. A moment later, he looked up and said, you can't close a deal with a dirty heel. I cracked up. Now he was on a roll. Every day I say, Lord, help me be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. Surprise number five. I have to ask, I said, have you always been this positive and enthusiastic? He smiled and said, no. I decided a few years ago life was too short to be negative. It's all about PMA, positive mental attitude. I said, yes, positive mental attitude. He said, you got it. He said, I read a lot of books, too. Tuesdays with Maury, Who Moved My Cheese? And the big one for me was Seven Habits. I really studied that one. Surprise number six. I asked him, if I gave you an inspirational book, would you read it? He smiled again and said, of course, that'd be awesome. I reached in my bag and handed him a copy of Freedom for Fear. And then I had him pose for a picture. He was laughing with joy. He reached in his drawer and pulled out another one of his business cards and said to me, tell your friends about me. Here's a free shoe shine for them. Now that you're a preferred customer, every shine from now on is only $8 instead of 10 Surprise number seven. My new friend Danny Gibbons, the shoe shine Svengali, had me in his spell. I learned more from a 10-minute shoe shine than I have in some two-hour seminars. By his infectious smile, his enthusiastic attitude, and his able example, he inspired me to be more positive. I want to be like Danny. So the next time you're walking through the Minneapolis airport, be sure and stop by and visit my friend Danny Gibbons, not far from the information booth near Terminal F. You'll be glad you did. What is it about a shoe shine that makes us feel better about ourselves? When you add Danny's soft skills and the human touch to the experience, it's downright inspiring. Who knew? Now that I know Danny, I'm not surprised. He might be one of the best salespeople I've ever met. Success comes in cans. At the beginning of the 1800s, food storage was a major concern for America. Across the water in England, a man named Brian Donkin invented canning. Donkin's creation preserved foods beautifully, though the early cans were made of wrought iron. They were heavy and almost impossible to get into. One brand bore the instructions to open with a hammer and a chisel. Soldiers usually attacked them with bayonets or fired bullets into them. The real breakthrough came when a lighter material was used, then in turn enabled mass production. The stage was set for Ezra J. Warner, the man that invented the can opener. On January 5, 1858, the first can opener was sold. It made Ezra wealthy and famous. Who doesn't like to hear from an employee or a child, yes, I can? This simple declaration infers a certain attitude of possibility. In a word, hope. The mind is the limit, said Arnold. As long as the mind can envision the fact that you can do something, you can do it as long as you really believe 100%. Now, that's a loose paraphrase of what he was saying, but you get the idea. If you can dream it, you can do it, said Walt Disney. Andy Serkis, the actor, said, Be magnificent. Life's short. Get out there. You can do it. Everyone can do it. Everyone. It's a great feeling when someone we admire tells us, be it a boss or a coach or a teacher or a parent, you can do this. I believe in you. The good news is we don't have to wait for someone to give us permission. We have the power to give that to ourselves. It's a gift. Words trigger pictures and bring about emotion. That inspires actions, which leads to results. There's a formula for success, and it comes in cans. I can do this, and you can too. Here's seven things that you can do to improve your can attitude. Number one, desire. How bad do you want it? All meaningful and 
lasting accomplishment begins with emotionally charged idea. In 1977, I asked myself, what if I learned to trade? So I joined the Air Force and became an air conditioning technician. In 1982, I asked myself, what if I got good at sales? I started reading books and keeping a journal. In 1994, I asked myself, what if I started my own business? And I did, speaking and writing. In 1999, I asked myself, what if I wrote a best-selling book? In 2001, I asked myself, what if I became a successful speaker? Every change I ever made in my career came by asking the simple question, what if? Number two, passion. What do you love to do? What comes easily to you that's hard for others? What did you have a passion for when you were seven years old? What activity that when you engaged, you time distort? In other words, the time just flies by. Is anyone else getting paid to do that? If you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. I have a passion for reading and writing and speaking and coaching others. I've turned that passion into a business. It's taken me around the world and provided a nice living for me and my family. I put three boys through college, doing what I love. Number three, belief. The word belief has the word lie right in the middle of it. In order to perform a new belief, three things are needed. R-E-T, repetition, emotion, and time. How many of you can recite the Pledge of Allegiance? I remember it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, why do we know that? As baby boomers in school, we said it thousands of times. What if you said your number one goal thousands of times? I wonder what would happen. You already know the answer. A new belief. Number four, creativity. George Bernard Shaw once said, most people don't think. I've become rich and famous by thinking a couple of times a week. Remember the acronym ICE, I-C-E, Innovation, Creativity, and Exploration. I'm going to assume you have a goal you'd like to achieve. What if you thought about it each morning with a pen in hand? One of the most successful salespeople I ever met told me, I get up at 6 a.m. every morning, I make a cup of coffee, I sit on my deck with a legal pad, and I think about my top three prospects. What can I do to close this business, he would ask to himself. And then he would start writing. He said, Mark, some days I got dozens of ideas, and some days I only got one or two. But he said, by the end of the month, I was closing almost 80% of my business. And by the way, at the time he told me that, he was selling twice as much as I was. Make the time each day to create. Number five, action. It says in James 2.14, faith without works is dead. We must take action if we're going to achieve our goals. I recently made an entry in my journal. If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. We must do more than simply wish. What are the six most important things you need to do today? The simple discipline changed my life. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. During a book signing, a man said to me, I've always wanted to write a book. I have some good ideas. I smiled. I said, and thinking to myself, I've heard this dozens of times. And I said, well, what's stopping you? He proceeded to argue his position and gave me all the excuses, but not one good reason. When he was done, I simply said with a smile, when I'm writing a new book, I get up at five in the morning, I make a pot of coffee, I carve out an hour or three pages, whichever comes first. I do that every day until the project's done. I never heard from him again. Number six, persistence. Bill Jackson wrote in his book, 11 Rings, an old Buddhist aphorism, knock down seven times, stand up eight. Do you know why a bulldog's nose slants backwards? So she can breathe while she hangs on. One of the most famous quotes on persistence comes from Calvin Coolidge. He said, 
Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing's more in common, nothing's more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Be a bulldog. Seven. Analysis. The only thing I've done well since 1982 is not give up. I've lost thousands of sales, but I learned something from each one. For every one I lost, I closed two or three more. I teach sales professionals around the globe a simple discipline. After each sale, won or lost, sit down as soon as you can and ask yourself in your journal, what did I do well and what could I improve? In fact, what I do is I draw a line down the center of the page, and on the left-hand side, I write next time with a minus sign. And on the right-hand side of the ledger, I put a plus and what I'm going to do better next time. Simple. It's kind of an autopsy. That's what doctors do. They do autopsies to find out why patients die. What if you ask yourself on a regular basis what you could improve? What could I improve? What did I do well? What could I improve? Simple. Only the mediocre are always at their best. I wonder how long it actually took Ezra J. Warner to invent the can opener. How many failed attempts until he got it right? Success really does come in cans. You can achieve your goals, whatever they might be. Believe you can. It beats a bullet in the bayonet. Before I go any farther, Lucas, we've got, uh, what, a snapshot survey to talk about, right? We do, yeah. We just uh, just rolled out the latest EGIA snapshot survey summary report. This one's on inventory management. Um, so that one's now available. And some of the questions that we asked contractors, and we've now taken their data, written it up into a pretty actionable report, included, uh, does your company have a formal data-driven forecasting process in order to ensure the correct inventory is on hand? Is your inventory forecast revised and updated throughout the year? Does your company have an established policy to determine exactly which parts and in which quantities are to be kept on uh, service vehicles at all times? And what's the average cost of inventory kept on service vehicles and a few other ones. So for those unfamiliar, every month EGIA surveys its members on specific focus areas to gain an insight on how contractors are evolving their business practices to kind of achieve maximum, maximum success. And then at the end of the month, a summary of the survey results are published and made available exclusively to EGIA members, available to all EGIA members. So these, these reports feature really powerful insights, best practices, actionable data, quotes from consultants and from other contractors with boots on the ground uh, to kind of give you an idea of what's working for some and what's not working for others in the industry and um, really valuable to kind of incorporate into your own business um, depending on, you know, where you're struggling or where you're doing well. So that is now available. Uh, inventory management report is now available to all EGIA members in the member dashboard. And then also, uh, Mark, I believe we have a this this episode we're publishing on August fifteenth. I believe we have a webinar on August twenty first, if I'm not mistaken, about writing articles and getting written about. And this will be hosted by none other than Mr. Mark Madison here. So if you want to hear his his dulcet tones again on August twenty first uh, from ten a.m. Pacific time. Uh, well, what, what, so Mark, who should listen to this, I guess, uh, and why is it important to write articles or to get written about without, you know, giving away the, the, the webinar? Sure. Well, first of all, dulcet tones. Wow. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody's ever said I had dulcet tones. I'm not even sure what that means. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, let's see. Well, uh, and I don't want to circle back to inventory management sure. when I'm done with this. It would be, I think, for uh, primarily business owners and managers. And, and here's why. When you have an article written in a magazine, and I've written hundreds of articles for magazines, both in the industry and without, and I will tell you that writing an article gives you credibility. 
And one of the things that you can do with an article that is published, you know, there's an old expression from Will Rogers that says, when somebody else blows your horn, it travels twice as far. So it gives you, dramatically improves your reputation in the marketplace. And you can use that article as uh, as artwork in your office, you know, framed and put on the wall to give you credibility. But also those articles can go in every proposal you do, and it can also be put on your website as well. And the good news is, and I'll talk about this in, in great detail, is you don't have to be a writer to do it. You can have somebody write it for you. You can write it and have somebody edit it for you. I mean, there's lots of different ways to get it done. So I love the Jerry Seinfeld quote. He said, yeah, I'm having a ghostwriter, you know, write my book. And Jerry said, well, good. I'll have a ghostwriter read it, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, so that, there's lots of different options, and I'll talk about all of those. Yeah, so that's and again, if look, anybody who wants to, to sign up with egia.org slash events, and that's August 21st at 10 a.m. Sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's it's simple. Look, I had a year of junior college, and I flunked high school English, okay? So if anybody's the least qualified to write an article, it's me, but I've just been writing for a really long time. And, you know, writing is a fantastic way to learn about what you've been learning. And quite frankly, oh, and the other reason, and this is kind of the last part of this equation without giving it all away, is is editors of magazines like HVA and C Insider and Contracting Business and to, to list a few are looking for articles. They like articles from guys like me who are consultants, but they really like articles from business owners who are in the trenches, you know, doing the work. And so they're always looking for copy. They're never going to run out of the demand for copy. So, yeah, it's in your enlightened self-interest if you want a company to listen in. And, and you're going to, I guess, not just um... – not just say that, say why it's important, but you're also going to, I think, explain how to actually get said article published, yes? Absolutely. There we go. Yeah, and, and also how to go about writing it. I mean, this is, you know, this, there's a lot of trepidation and fear around that. It's like, well, I'm not a writer. Well, you know more than you're giving yourself credit for. <laughs> so somebody who's never written an article, per se, could listen to this, and that would be all the start they need. There's no, no, no prerequisites for this one. Absolutely. You don't need a degree in journalism, you know, to, or English to, to write an article. Turns out writing has got nothing to do with English. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I flunked high school English. You know, it's like, uh, I, yeah, that's another story that I'll save for the webinar. Uh, we've also got the uh, the big event coming up in September, and, and it's sold out, right? It is sold out. Uh, Epic 2018, there is still the possibility to get on the waiting list. And obviously, as, as seats become available, we will, we will backfill them from the waiting list. But free registrations are available for some EGIA members, Premium Plus. And Mark will be there, Gary Ellix, Drew Cameron, keynotes from Aaron Ralston, who was the subject of that, that movie, 127 Hours, the guy who cut off his own arm uh, when he was stuck behind a boulder between a rock and a hard place, as his book says. Right. Yeah, and I've heard nothing but amazing things of him as a keynote speaker. And uh, Connie Podesta will be there as well. She's kind of a human behavior specialist, so she kind of can get help you get inside your own mind as well as the mind of your customers. So. Uh, egia.org slash epic 2018-20182 to get on the uh, waiting list now. And, and the lesson know? here is don't wait. You know, when you find out when the next gathering is going to be, you know, sign up fast because it, it will sell out. And we, in fact, will be rolling out for that very reason. Um, a lot of demand right now, obviously, on the 2018. And, and there's a lot of people who right now, anyway, looks like want to go but might not be able to. So we will be rolling out the 2019 registration, announcing all that in the very near future. So stay tuned for that. And did you, uh, Mark, did you have something you want to say about the uh, the snapshot survey or the inventory management or anything like that? Yeah, just a, just a brief kind of comment on that to <laughs> circle back. The most successful and most profitable contractors that I've had the privilege of working with do a really great job of 
minding inventory. And, and I think of one contractor in particular who sat down with his distributor and said, look, I don't want to have a bunch of products in my shop. It cost me a fortune to keep it all there. Would you help me to minimize my inventory and find a way to have your parts people deliver parts either to the shop directly as we need them or to the job site? It's a lesson I think every contractor needs to learn about. Develop what I call a win-win relationship with your distributor. You know, whatever product you sell, sit down with your territory manager or the owner of the distributor and say, you know, help me help you, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, and that's that's actually there's quite a bit of kind of detail about that in the summary report for anybody who has access to it. Just because because that's you know um, as Gary Alex for, for one always preaches, you know your your best case scenario is absolute zero inventory. You don't have to hold any inventory, and your supplier never misses a shipment, right? And then everything works out perfectly. But that's not necessarily feasible for every company, for every size, for every location. So it's about you know it's about finding a balance. If you can get to absolute zero, that's fantastic. If you can't, you find that that perfect equilibrium that allows you to be the most profitable possible. And um, yeah, there's a lot of really kind of juicy details and interesting insights. I think that this is one of the one of the better reports we've had for a little while. There will actually be a little preview, a free preview for everybody, EGI members and, and non on EGIA.org slash blog in the next week, BLOG. So. Well, so much of it comes down to getting out of your comfort zone and, and looking for ways to innovate and create to lower your costs, especially unapplied labor. I remember my friend Chuck told me a story. He He said, one day I was standing in the shop and there was 20 some technicians standing around drinking coffee and eating donuts. And he said, you know, and they came in to pick up parts and he said, Jesus, there's just got to be a better way to do this, a more effective way. So he sat down and he thought about it for a while and he came up with an idea. So he hired a retired truck driver and he had uh, basically a giant box put in front next to the porch of every technician's home or apartment. And then he hired this guy, this retired truck driver, paid him $15 an hour or whatever, to drive from 10 at night till 2 in the morning to drop off clean uniforms, drop off uh, fresh invoices, pick up the old invoices, and drop off any parts that that technician might need for the next day. And what this did was it, it allowed the technicians to go directly to the job site without coming into the shop. And he said at the end of the year doing this, it saved him about $500,000 in unapplied labor costs. And he said he took half that money and invested in training, you know, and having gatherings and, the, you know, the other half in the bank. And he said it had a profound effect on their profitability. So inventory management is just one element or aspect to, you know, lowering your costs and finding ways to be more efficient. So it was, it was a great topic. I'm glad it was brought up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, there is, you know, as I said, it's, you know, not to harp on it. There, there's that balance that you have to find. If you can accomplish that, what you just described, that's excellent, you know, but. You know, you want to have as, as few things on the truck, for example, as possible. That's going to cost you extra money. That's capital you could have elsewhere. That's going to, you know, cost you gas mileage, stuff like that. Same time, you know, if you have, if there aren't parts on the truck that you need, that could cost you sales. So, you know, it's, it's always, you just got to find that, that perfect balance. It's a, it's a balancing act. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and, and I probably should end this, this podcast with a story. Yes, please. Do, do you think? I yeah. do. Okay. And I'll talk more about this later, but one of the, one of the great lessons I learned, I learned in the second year of sales. I called on a gentleman in Tacoma, Washington, and he had been a he had been a referral. Uh, someone had referred me to him. They were in the same industry, and in this case, it was the photo finishing industry, which doesn't even exist anymore. But so this is an old story from an old guy. You have to explain what a photo is later. But no. I know, right? Yeah. Well, in the old days, Lucas, long before you were born, what we used to do is we would take our uh, camera, and uh, when the when we got our twenty pictures, you, your phone, you mean? 
No, no, no. I'm, we I'm had things called, called cameras. Okay. Right? Okay. We had these cameras, right? It was a separate little device that took pictures, right? Your, your phone didn't take pictures and your pictures, anyway. So you would take that roll of film down to the Safeway and they would process it. And two weeks later, you'd get, you know, your, your photos back, right? That's how it was. It's kind of like, you know, six to eight weeks for delivery when I was a kid, you know, anything mail order, right? So you just waited a long time for what you wanted instead of, the, you know, the instant gratification we get with our smartphones now. But so this guy's name was Ron, and he there was a converted Safeway, and he was a super nice guy. And, you know, because I was referred to him by someone he knew and trusted, he agreed to meet with me. And we sat down, and I said, well, Ron, how did you get started in this business? And three hours later, Ron took a breath. Now, here's how you know when somebody's talking too long. They say the word anyway. So they're talking long, and then they, they get off course, and then they realize they're off course, and they go anyway, and they pull themselves back. Well, he said anyway five times in this three hours. So it was one of those things where you just go, wow, right? So at the end of the three hours, it was like he woke up from a coma, and he says, why are you here? And I said, well, based on all the things you just told me, I'm pretty sure we can lower your operating costs and extend your equipment's useful life. He said, perfect, that's what I'm looking for. So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll jump up on the roof. I'll survey your equipment. I'll come back in a couple of days and give you a couple of options. And you can decide which one makes sense. I said, if I can give you something that fits in your budget and it's going to improve your the level of service you provide and lower your cost, can we do business? And he said, absolutely. And he shook my hand. So I surveyed the equipment. And the next day I got back to the, that night I got back to the shop. I sat down and wrote a handwritten note and thanked him for his time. And two days later, I came back and the note was on his bulletin board. He'd kept it, which I thought was amazing. People don't send thank you notes anymore. I don't know why, but even back then, right? So I made the mistake of saying, so didn't you tell me your kids golfed? And two and a half hours later, he took a breath. And finally, he said, uh, so why are you here? And I just slid the agreement across the table, and he signed it without even looking at the price. Now, the best part of that story is it was the largest sale I'd made up to that point in my career. And then from that, I got three more referrals, and it ended up being a half a million dollar conversation. And all I did was ask two questions and listen. And that's what I'd like to leave everyone with today. Dominate the listening and you'll be amazed at what happens. Make it a great day unless you have other plans. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egi.org slash podcast to find this episode, an archive of previous episodes, the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play, and a link to the latest EGI snapshot survey. For more information about EGI membership, which, by the way, is growing fast, visit www.egi.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time.